Yeah, I mean, I had a conversation this morning with a couple of leaders. They believe once saved, always saved. And since I was exposing that as a doctrine of Satan, Genesis 2, 17 and 3, 4, they took me to task. And with one of them, he was preaching about how man has sinned and basically cannot stop sinning, basically. And, you know, from what he was saying, I, I asked him a question. I said, man, do you have more faith in sin than you do the Savior? And I said, look, did I asked him, I said, did Jesus come to save us in our sins or from our sins to see if he knew? scripture, which he doesn't know the fullness of scripture. He doesn't care to because he's more interested in keeping his tradition, just like the Pharisees Jesus cited, who he said they put aside the word of God, knowing full well, having the availability of the whole of scripture, you put aside the commandment or the word of God so that you may keep your tradition. So they sacrifice Christ on the altar of their own self-serving tradition. That is Mark 7, 6 through 9. This guy has more. Listen, the Bible says in Matthew 1, 21, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from, not in their sins. John one twenty nine. John. That's scripture. From and in. You know, what's different? From. Away from. Move it away. There it is. In. Yeah. How would that yeah. Yeah. have been worked? Well, if Jesus paid for our sins and put his Holy Spirit in us and his grace, see, the, these so-called grace teachers today, anybody who calls himself a grace teacher is going to be a bona wolf every time. They don't teach scriptures, the whole of scripture on grace, and therefore they pervert the meaning of it. Grace is not a license for sin. Grace is the divine ability to overcome all sin and live pleasing to God in all ways. Titus 2, 11 and 12 is a perfect example of that. And you will never find these so-called self-proclaimed wolves who call themselves grace teachers. They're never going to attend to this passage here in verse 11 of Titus 2, where the Apostle Paul writes this, for the grace of God, what are we talking about? The grace of God that brings salvation. How do you get saved? It's by the grace of God, right? Hath appeared to how many? All men. I can't help but hit this point. Calvinism is a absolute diabolical perversion of the original gospel. Jesus came and died for all men. Titus 2.11, we see that throughout scripture. If he died for all men, obviously he intends to save all men. And that's what the testimony of scripture tells us. Now, Notice teaching us, oh, wait a minute, grace teaches us something. It doesn't just send us away after we're initially saved to live a life however we want and still we're guaranteed eternal life. That's foolishness. Jesus is going to say to those who did not deny themselves daily, take up the cross and follow him daily in an abiding relationship. He is going to say to them, Matthew 25, 40, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. And he is saying through that, I believe, you didn't want, sir, you didn't man. You didn't want a relationship with me on earth. You chose to just try to use me to get you out of hell and into heaven, but you didn't want a relationship on earth with me the way I prescribe, denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following me. And therefore, I'm going to give you your desire for all eternity. Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Not only is once saved, always saved in eternal security, a doctrine of devils, Genesis 2, 17, 
13 and 3 4. It's the first lie Satan ever told to the man of God, the man and the woman in the garden that caused their fall. And it's causing the fall of many today who believe it. The same devil is hissing like a snake through the false teachers teaching this unconditional eternal security and damning the souls of millions who believe because they were initially saved that they're automatically going to heaven no matter what. But the Bible guarantees in Revelation and in Galatians 5, 19 through 21 and in Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, etc. We've got a little book called Soul Damning Sins. It guarantees that no liar, no fornicator, no adulterer, no hateful person, even if you have unforgiveness, God is holy, holy, holy. None of these classes of sinners will enter into the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say, oh, at the end, oh, except if they got saved one point in their life. No, there's no qualification. If you die in sin, you're going to hell. The wages of sin is still death. Why? Because God is immutably, unchangeably, holy, holy, holy. And he commands you to be holy for I'm holy. Notice these OSAS grace teachers. These wolves will never tend to scriptures like this. If you're listening to me right now, I encourage you to get the book Lie of the Ages. It's an absolute blockbuster that will establish so much truth in you, you won't know what to do with it. As a matter of saying it on this subject and much more, 57 chapters that are so full of scripture and truth that absolutely dismantles and destroys all possibility that any part of Calvinism is true or this OSAS lie that emanated from Satan in the Garden of Eden. It came to be because of ungodly men, Jews, verse 4, who are turning the grace of God into lasciviousness or a license for sin by perverting the grace of God. And we're specifically commanded, mandated to earnestly contend, as I'm doing right now, against these ungodly men, quote unquote, Jude writes, who are turning the grace of our God to license for sin. The Bible doesn't only say, doesn't say that just grace came by Jesus Christ. No, it says grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You see, what's happened is individual people have refused to seek God and know him by studying his word for themselves. The Bible mandates that every person, God say, Christ saves, that you are to study to show yourself approved unto God. You, it's your responsibility, not to wait for the Sunday morning to be deceived and indoctrinated by some false seminary, Satan's seminarian pastor who's learned Calvinism and OSAS and all these new versions. These guys are absolutely corrupt. I tell you what, maintain or how can we get a balance well and that's a that's a great question and that's the point to study to show your own self approval to god these guys strategically go through scripture and they siphon out just the verses that fit their little fancy so that they can sell the people the prey on this grace only message but we're learning if you're really going to be of grace then you're going to learn some things as we're getting ready to read here in our text titus 2 11 and 12 that's how they deceive the hearts of the simple. Because first of all, the simple or the individuals that are being deceived refuse to study the word for themselves. When you begin to go through the full counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation on your own, every day studying the Bible, getting up and putting God first, literally. If you're not in the word daily, you've already backslidden. And when you begin to go through that, you're going to begin to do what I did in that process years ago. And still today, scratch your head and go, why in the world is this daily cross never taught, for example? Why are they leaving all all of these things out. They don't ever. When is the last time you 
heard a pastor say that God is holy, holy, holy. That's Bible. There's only one of his divine attributes he ever mentioned three times in a row, and it's the holiness of God. Revelation 4, 8, Isaiah 6, 3. And what did Peter do? He repeated, I believe, Moses in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, be ye holy, for I am holy. The writer of Hebrews 12, 14 says that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Now notice what he's Yeah, the perfection of Christ. And that is accounted to you as you are one with and abiding in Christ and only as you're in Christ. Somebody might say, wait a minute, I'm in Christ. I got saved, you know, when I was 13 or last year or last month or last week. Well, that doesn't mean you're still in Christ. Jesus taught in John 15 that you have to abide in him. You have to remain in an intimate daily, he said, relationship with him or you will be cast into the fires of eternal damnation. Nation, John chapter 15, verse 6. So we really begin to see, this is a great question you asked, Sherry. We really begin to see the truth in what Jesus said over and over when he, he used the word many and few. Here's a couple of examples. He said, many be called, but few chosen. He said, enter ye in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be which go in thereat and straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, eternal life. And few, there it is, there be that find it. Jesus said that his true people are a little flock. It's very scary and it should scare the hell out of us and cause the fear of the Lord to dominate and imbue the innermost part of our being. It says in Proverbs 14, 27, I believe, the fear of the Lord is what the fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. If you've got the fear of the Lord, you're fighting the good fight. Here's the difference right here. Those that believe in OSAS, unconditional eternal security, do not fight the good fight of faith. They believe they don't have to because they're automatically saved no matter what anyway. So they backslide almost inevitably. It doesn't matter if they go to church. These churches are so lukewarm, it's not even describable. And all it takes to go to hell is to be lukewarm. He's talking to the church in Revelation 3, 15 and 16 when he says that. But the true disciple of Christ, the authentic, honest follower of Christ, Luke 8, 15, you got to be honest, have an honest and good heart, confesses any sin. He fights the good fight of faith daily. He denies himself, takes up his cross and follows Jesus. He does not excuse or justify his sin. No, he confesses those sins. Remember, if we confess, it's a condition, our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all, to forgive us of sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28, 13, he that covers his sins through false doctrine or whatever else, excuses and justifies and does not repent and confess them will not prosper. But whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. That's the difference. Does that mean that the people who is who are prosperous are, does that mean they're the ones that are leading the right life? No. No, not at all. In fact, the richest religions and some of the richest men on the earth, most of them are absolutely the most wicked men in the, on the planet. There's so many examples of that in Scripture to answer your question. The question is, is physical monetary prosperity a sign of godliness? No. Look at the rich man in Luke 16, 19 through 31. He went straight to hell. We have that. How do you know they're going to hell? The Bible says it. Get over it. Read the Bible and believe Jesus. Let God be true, the word, and every man a liar. Romans 3, 4. How about this? Paul specifically taught, and you got to get a King James Bible because the new versions removed this, the most important part of it. But he says in chapter 6, he's speaking of rich men in this world. 
Now, it doesn't mean you're lost because you're rich, because Paul in this world, by the way, every American's rich. Rich just simply means in the divine economy, in the kingdom economy, that you've got more, you pay your bills and you got something left over. Every American is rich. Every Westerner is rich. Now, he says this. He says, among other things, in 1 Timothy 6. Now, if you're listening to this message, I want you to write notes down, write these scriptures down and go and study them and learn them now and be able to teach them. Here, that's what a true disciple does. You learn so that you can teach. The best way to learn is to teach. You are called, 1 Peter 3.15, to every man that asks you, you're given the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and godly fear. And that is the word. You give the word. You preach the word, 2 Timothy 4.2. Now, what he says there in 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5 in specific, that if anybody says that gain is godliness, they equate godliness to financial gain, that you are to depart from such a person. You are to reject them. That is an evil person. That's what the word of faith movement teaches. You don't have enough faith. You're not godly enough, so you don't have a lot of money. The poorest people in this world are some of the most godly. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. And Jesus, through his physical brother, James, in James 2, 5, uh, that's a little Catholic bashing truth right there. Anyway, another subject, James 2, 5, he says that God hath not God chosen. He specifically addresses this. To answer your question, Sister Sherry, hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, the poor of this world, bracket that, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. God has chosen them. It is Jesus taught. And we don't ever hear this taught in churches. Forget the churches. We are the church. Be a member of the body of Christ. Fellowship with Christ and his saints in the word of God every day. Colossians 3.16. Now, Jesus taught that it is going to be very difficult for us, all Americans, to enter into the kingdom of God due to our riches. And he says this, how hardly shall those that have riches and trust in riches, both, that just have them, to enter into the kingdem of God. That is chapter Mark 10, 23 through 25. Jesus says, and we'll move on after this. And Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, how hardly shall they that have riches, just, just have them, enter into the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished. People listening to this are becoming astonished. If you're hearing these words of Jesus and this truth, and the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and saith unto them, children, how hardly? He reiterates it. He doubles down. God doesn't change for any man. How hard is it for them that trust in riches? If you have them, he used that term, you're going to be tempted to trust in them. The best thing to do is keep it flowing out. God gives us the opportunity. Remember, Jesus did not say, don't lay up treasure. He said, don't lay it up on earth. But he said, commanded us to lay it up in heaven. And that's what you and I prayed about this morning, is praying that God gives us fertile gospel, full gospel, not these little clowns that are pastors and running ministries to bring attention to themselves, build their own empire, and tickle ears, as Paul warned. We need to put it in the hands of men of God that are called and refuse to preach anything less than the full counsel of God in the holy fear of God, full of the Holy Ghost, and drilling the Word of God into people. Now, individual has to make the choice to repent and obey. But those preachers that are true to God will preach the full counsel of God. Acts 20, verse 20 and 27, Paul says that he did not hold back to declare 
all the counsel of God. See, and we don't know if somebody's preaching the whole counsel of God unless we're in the full counsel of God ourselves. And that's every individual Christian is mandated to study the whole word of God and depend on God. Millions are in hell, even as we breathe and speak right now, that follow a pastor. Oh, but he had a seminary degree. No, that's not God's model at all. That's the devil's model, Satan's seminaries. You can find out more about that on safeguardyoursoul.com. So those that have riches and trust and riches. It's going to be very, very difficult for them to enter the kingdom. Jesus teaches, verse 25, as we finish this little passage, answering this question, and before we bounce back to Titus 2 in our main passage, Jesus says this, Mark 10, 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, there's two schools of thoughts on that. I'm not going to get into that right now. Either way, it's nearly impossible. It's already a straight gate that leads to life, Jesus said, Matthew 7, 13, 14. And few there be that find it. And it's even more difficult for those that have riches in this world. That would include all Americans, all Westerners who have enough to pay their bills and something left over. What are you giving to the Lord out of what he gives you every week when you get paid? Does God come first? Jesus says to us through Solomon, divinely inspired, that we should give the first fruits of all that we received to him. And by the way, on top of that, he said, look, I'm going to call you, I am going to open the floodgates, basically. I'm going to stock you up. You know, you're going to have reciprocity. Now, I'm not teaching word of faith theology, beloved, but at the same time, we don't want to negate the promises of God. And Jesus, through Solomon, promised us in Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, where he's talking about in this passage, trusting in the Lord, not yourself, with all your heart, leaning not into your own understanding. He says this in verse 9 and 10, honor the Lord with thy substance. You know, some people run around and say, well, they didn't give tithes of money. Well, why not? Well, let me tell you why. Because they didn't trade with money back then. I mean, that's a foolish excuse for those who love themselves and love money in this world. Oh, well, they, they gave crops and wheat. Hey, that's ridiculous excuse. Listen, do we trade with crops today? No. We barter, we exchange money for product and service. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits. Notice first, does God come first in your life? If he does, you should apportion the first portion of your finances to him. I'm not teaching Old Testament tithing. I'm teaching something that is first fruits taught throughout scripture. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, not second. And some people want to isolate the money deal because they love money. They're really revealing their own idolatry where they won't worship God by doing what the Bible says. They want to pick and choose, you see, as it fits their own lifestyle. You you should honor the Lord with yourselves and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barn. Here's the promise. I'm not going to apologize for giving a divine promise. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God's going to take care so of it. I will tell you how that has applied to my life. When I give to God first, I don't even worry about the rest of the moment. Amen. Uh, and that's because he's all, always provided a roof over my head and boot to my lips, and what more do we need? And you know, that's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, when he says in this passage about verse 6 through 11, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. 
Now, he's talking about money or giving out of what you've been given, whether that be money or whatever else. It doesn't exclude money, is my point. That's how we exchange things in our day. But he says, if you sow into the kingdom sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, not only now, but in eternity. And that doesn't mean you're going to grow. The money itself is going to grow. But God just has ways, as you're trying to articulate there, of making you flourish. And that's what he's going to say here. And it's not necessarily going to be in dollar signs, but you're going to be take, taken care of. And the Bible calls that actually fat in the Old Testament in Proverbs 11, 24 through 26. But then he says, if you sow bountifully, you're going to reap bountifully. What is he talking about? Same thing Jesus taught, this congruency here. Lay up your treasure in heaven. Then he says, every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth what? A cheerful, that means hilarious giver. Man, you're just so joyful that God put something in your hands, and now you can't wait to give it out because you're flourishing in Christ. Verse 8, and we'll go back to Titus 2 after this. And God is able, when you give, who's this promise to? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. We're going to finalize this message here in Titus 2, verse 11 and 12, maybe a couple of verses after that. Speaking of the grace of God and how the wolves today, the grace teachers, that proclaim themselves to be grace churches and grace pastors, and they write all these flowery, stupid books like Brennan Manning and all these other devils. You know, Brennan Manning's a false teacher. Absolutely. He writes books and people get all piped up on that. I talked to a young guy the other day. He was telling me about Brennan Manning. Well, I confronted him with the guy, the fact that the guy's a Calvinist. He's a false teacher and that you need to get in God's word. Don't be reading man's word. Read God's word. This what? There's like less than 1%. I would say that's being liberal to say it that way of so-called Christian authors today. Just simply teach the word through their books. Those are all false teachers. They're selling you on some message message apart from scripture instead of telling you and showing you what the scripture says and telling you not to believe them like but be a Berean to search the scriptures daily to compare everything to the word of God and if you're not studying the word of God every day to show yourself approved unto God not man if you're not a workman it takes work it's the most rewarding work there is you're going to be ashamed in the end because you've been misled and you allowed yourself to be misled and deceived it's your fault 100% because you have a Bible everyone that has a Bible is without excuse. And we all have Bibles. Get a King James Bible, friend. Let's read this passage that the grace teachers will never, ever teach. And if they were to teach it, they'd have to spin it to fit their tradition, their philosophy, their lie from hell that Satan taught in the garden. Notice that when you're saved by the grace of God, what is it that we see in your life? Verse 12, what does the grace of God teach us? It's teaching us if we're truly saved by the grace of God in a present abiding fellowship with Jesus, John 15, it's teaching us that denying ungodliness, not justifying it, denying it, and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. And if you don't have this in your life, if you're not living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, fighting the good fight of faith, overcoming through the grace, the divine enablement of Christ in this present world, you're not going to be with Jesus in eternity in the next world. Verse 13, looking. So grace teaches us some things. Verse 12, very clear. I want you to pour prayerfully over this whole passage. Titus 2, 11 through 14, looking for that blessed hope, that's Jesus, the glorious and the glorious appearing 
of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Every person that's right with God today is looking for Jesus, his soon return. They're living godly in this world, enabled not by themselves. Oh, that's works. The No, it's not. It's Bible. Listen, every time these little phony moral cowards is what they are, hear something that convicts them and the word of God, which calls them to die, to live a crucified life in this world. They're going to throw up this legalism and works-based theology. These moral cowards are simply hiding behind this false teaching of once saved, always saved. It's a lie from hell. And millions who got saved initially and then fell away are now in hell, sure as you're breathing. And millions today that live who got saved and did not continue with the Lord have fallen away. Jesus invented the term fall away, Luke 8, 13. And he's talking about those who got saved and then they fell away. How are you going to fall away from something you don't already have? Ridiculous lunacy. Looking for the blessed hope. If you got the grace of God in you because you're abiding in Christ, you're hearkening to you come into the light as he is in the light you're not denying the light you're not hating the light because you love darkness john 3 19 through 21 then you're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great god and our savior jesus christ who gave himself for us why that he might redeem us from all not some iniquity all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works jesus died to save us and redeem us from how much iniquity all iniquity and purifying to himself a peculiar people who are zealous of good works coming out of that true grace relationship where they're being purified and they have a pure heart and they're blessed by God. And then he goes on to say that we're to speak these things, speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, all divine authority on the word of God, which is the authority of God. Let no man despise thee. Hebrews 9.28 tells us that Jesus is coming back for those that are looking for him. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, Speaking of the return of Christ specifically in this passage, he says that every man that has this hope, that is the hope of Christ's soon return in him, purifies himself even as he is pure. If you are listening to my voice and you are not purifying yourself like Jesus calls you to do through the crucified abiding life of Christ, then you are not looking for him. You have no hope for his return and you have denied Christ. Bible says in the end of Hebrews 5 that Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or blemish or any such thing, but church that is holy. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. And we'll finish with this. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 and 8, that his wife hath made herself ready. The true remnant of God's elect, the elect of those who elect to serve God on his terms, which are written in scripture. That's where we get his terms. Whereas you got 90% of the people that claim to be Christians today are not serving God on his terms. They don't even know his terms. They don't care to know it. If they did, they'd study and search the scriptures daily to see what the truth is of God. So his wife hath made herself ready. The true body of Christ is known and that she has making herself ready for the return of Christ. And to her, we read here in Revelation 19, 7 and 8, and to her, those that make themselves ready, that's a condition, were, was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Thank you for listening, friends. You can find out a whole lot more about this and much more from Scripture on safeguardyoursoul.com.